We can remember back to the days of driver's education. I can remember that. I remember doing it in the summer. It was all kind of the soon-to-be sophomores. At least that's how we did it back then. We're all kind of gathered in one room, big room, big kind of conference room. Uh, during the summer, we would do it one of those semesters or one of those months, rather, leading into the summer uh, season. And I remember, if, if you can remember back when you're learning to drive, especially when it's kind of the pressure of getting out there with the driving instructor, and you know, you're just kind of jittery, and you're just, you know, just wondering what's going on. But the thing is, you're just hyper aware. We're talking about awareness and control today, obviously, from Ephesians chapter 5. You're just kind of hyper aware of everything that's going on. It's good. It's good. Sometimes you don't know what you need to be aware of, but at least you're just kind of hyper aware of everything. Your eyes are this wide. You see whenever you're a student driver and you kind of pull up beside them on the highway or whatever, and you know, they're just, our eyes are like this, you know, hyper aware. The other side of what we're talking about today is control as well. And we're not talking about control of ourselves as much as we're talking about the control of another, namely the Holy Spirit of God. And so you also think back at least maybe at least it was this way, these types of cars that we have, you know, that the fleet of the cars lined up. Of course, I think they do things a little bit differently now, but it was handled at the school, and you have the fleet of the driver's ed cars lined up and outside. So when it comes to the driving portion, you get in the car. And sometimes you'd have those specially modified cars, right? Where on the passenger side, they also have the brake, so they can kind of hit the brake, right, on the other side. So to a certain degree, you have this sort of hyper-awareness of what I should be doing, but yet you have some modicum of control by the one, the driving instructor, the one that truly knows what they're doing. Well, to an even greater degree, we have this sort of awareness that we're called to have as we're living in our world, but to an even greater degree, we're to give over control of our lives to the Holy Spirit that dwells within And so Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, says this, See that you walk circumspectly, or some of your translations might say wisely. See that you walk circumspectly or wisely, not as fools, but as wise, reinforcing the idea. What? Redeeming the time. Because these days, the days that we live in, they're evil. Therefore, don't be unwise. Again, this sort of reverse reinforcement of what he said. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, this sort of uh, rowdiness, this sort of drunken rowdiness, but what be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another. What is the out? of it, what, it, what happens when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, especially when we think of the context of a local body of Christ, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How does it also pour out? How does it also live itself out in a Christian community, in a Christian context? We are submitting to one another in the fear of God. So when we walk through this today, there's going to be two main sections, and all of them kind of fall under these sort of clauses that we see in the original language. And we're going to categorize them with with awareness and control. So a Christian, and you'll see, write it down here, a Christian can live victoriously in the world. We don't want to just kind of struggle through life. It's not what God promised us. Jesus himself said, I come, they might have Uh, They might live abundantly, they might have life and have it more abundantly. So we can live abundantly or victoriously in the world by living with awareness, a spiritual awareness, and the control of the Holy Spirit. 
and the control of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see is very simply walking with awareness. That first phrase, see that you then walk circumspectly. Don't miss the first word in that, in fact, which is just simply walk. It's a continual lifestyle. It's continually should be our practice as a Christian. You see, we are ultimately being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, a big word uh, in Scripture, but it's one of the most beautiful words and one of the most beautiful ideas that we can see in Scripture, and it's the fact that when we give our life to Jesus Christ, he sees, God sees us as perfect, pure, holy, sinless, blameless, because when he looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ. But the idea of sanctification in Scripture is that over the course of our lives, God is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. He is practically in our lives conforming us more and more to that image that he already sees in us. That's sanctification. We see that echoed in, in Romans chapter 8 and other places. So, But we have part in that as well in that we're called to walk, regularly walk in the truth of God's word and to live it out. So it's this continual lifestyle of daily digging into the word of God. It's no secret of how to grow closer to God. He's right here. You can spend time with him just like you spend time with your family member your friend, your neighbor. You spend time with him in God's word and then you walk in it. You continually obey it. You know, if some of you that have played an instrument before or if you can relate it, if you've never played an instrument before, you can relate it to anything in your life that actually takes a practice. You can kind of just cruise through it if you want. But if you really want to get the most out of it, it is, on, it is your responsibility to practice that instrument or to practice whatever it may be. It's the same with your job. Some of you can just kind of keep your head down, maybe depending upon the job, and do just a good enough job at work to just kind of keep the, uh, keep the dogs off your tail, if you will. But if you really want to excel and do as good of a job that you can do, not just for your own sake, but ultimately we're called to do all things for the glory of God because it's a great witness in whatever context we find ourselves in, we got to work at it a little bit. So ultimately, we know that we're not trying to perfect ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit that's sanctifying us. But we have the responsibility in walking in the truth of God's word. The wonderful thing about that responsibility is it's responsibility that bears fruit. Bears fruit. We can see, we can truly see that positive change in our life, bearing out that fruit of the Spirit as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. So see then that you walk circumspectly. Big word, but it simply means carefully, as it might say in your translation, or wisely. It's this, and this is where we get the word from the first point. It's an awareness. It's an awareness. It's a keeping your head on a spiritual swivel, if you will. I've talked about that before. I've used that as an illustration. In sports, in football, we were called, especially in a couple of positions I played as a linebacker and a safety, that you had to keep your head on a swivel. You always had to be aware of what's happening around you. I think an even better illustration of that is we see the great degree and uptick in urban warfare in, in, in our modern society. It used to be when you look back at ancient battlefield tactics, it was you know two great armies would come to a wide open plain and they would just kind of clash there in the middle. But it's progressed over time to instances of guerrilla warfare throughout the years. And now you see very heavily warfare that's taking place uh, in our world is very much an urban warfare. And so you see, if you've seen any sort of specials on the History Channel or whatever it may be, especially related to special forces, 
A lot of their training is urban warfare, making sure there's not blind spots, you know, coming around a, a corner in a right way as a team. Even when you see uh, the weapons that they use, a lot of times, depending upon what type of special forces unit it may be, they want shorter weapons so they can keep compact and turn corners and stuff like that. All the time, having this sort of awareness of their surroundings, because who knows what can be around the next corner. You're not looking off in the distance at a great army off in the distance. And in the same way, as a Christian, as one who is to be living, uh, reflecting the character of Jesus Christ and living in such a way that we are leading people to, to faith in Jesus Christ, we are sharing with them the greatest news that the world has ever heard, the good news of the gospel, leading them to faith in Jesus Christ, we must walk carefully with awareness. And he says, that is how you're to walk. How are you not to walk? Not as fools. Not as fools. When we look at the book of Proverbs, the idea of the fool is not the idea of one who, uh, who has a lack of mental capacity. It is willful disobedience. It is indifference to God. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. It's a really interesting study. You might want to do it sometime of walking through the book of Proverbs and look of all the references of the fool. What you'll find there, again, is not a lack of mental capacity, but it's an indifference to God and a deliberate, a deliberate sinfulness. So he says, remember, this is addressed to Christians. This isn't addressed to non-Christians, although in the midst of the church at Ephesus, some of those who had might have been interested in the message of Jesus Christ might have been hearing this message. But Paul was addressing this to non or to Christians. So he says, see that you walk circumspectly, carefully, not as fools, not as indifferent to God, not with deliberate sinfulness. When we do so, I've used this term before, we're walking as a practical atheist. We're walking as a practical atheist. Say what we will about our belief in Christ, but if we're not walking aware of the Lord, if we're not being obedient to Jesus Christ, then we're walking as practically as if there is no God and God doesn't exist. So he says, see then that you walk carefully, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Matthew 10, 16 tells us that he, Jesus is saying to his followers, and of course, the implication of that echoes throughout the centuries of his disciples. And he says in Matthew 10, 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So we are his followers, sheep, sheep and we are going out in the midst of a, of a world that is dark and dying. Therefore, he says, be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves, shrewdly applying the truth of God's word, being aware, being aware of, of what, what people need to hear, being aware of walking in his word, and being aware of the fact that, as it says in Hebrews 4.12, that it is the word of God that is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. So again, see that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. What? Redeeming the time. I love that phrase there. Redeeming the time, making the most out of your time on earth. God tells us that our time, our life on earth, as long as we may think it is in the context of history, in the context of our eternity, it is a vaporous life. Vaporous life. One great writer said one, this very simple statement, time alone is irreplaceable. Time alone is irreplaceable. Anything else in this world can be replaced but time. I love the great Christian missionary. Many of us have heard the great stories of Jim Elliot and some of the great statements 
of using our life wisely. This is one we don't often hear, but just as powerful. Look at this. We're going to put it on the screen for you. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. Guys, if you'll leave that up there just a little bit longer, write that down if you have an opportunity to write it down. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. If we're leaving the choice of our life, if we're not kind of walking through life saying, you know, I'm going to kind of take control of the steering wheel, but we're letting, as we will transition here in just a moment to the next point of giving control to God, leaving the choice with him, he will give his best to those who say, my life is completely surrendered unto you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you look through that passage, it's a very powerful passage of the person who stands before the Lord Jesus Christ one day. And yes, the person is saved. Yes, the person is saved, but yet they have not used portions or all of their life in the way they should have. And it says that, uh, that, that when that person stands before the Lord, his works will be tested by fire by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if his works were such that he lived his life, even as a believer in such a way that he didn't use all of his life. He didn't redeem the time like he should have. They'll be tested by fire, and those works will be like wood, hay, and stubble. Nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. But, but, the person who uses their life, who truly redeems their time, they live with gratitude and say, I need to do all that I can to glorify and magnify and honor God with my life and lead people to Christ and to, to do his good work on this earth, not out of trying to earn my salvation, but out of gratitude for what he has done for me. It says that their works will be tested by fire and they'll be like precious stones and jewels that will last, last and it'll be a great testimony into their work and their, their life lived for the Lord. So he says, redeem the time. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Do you realize sometimes we can forget and we can sort of sanitize the world in which we live? But really, not just at the far reaches of our world, the far corners of this earth, but really oftentimes right around the corner sometimes, life can be a real meat grinder for people. There are people that we know that life is just a real meat grinder. It can be really, really tough, really difficult. That some of the things they're struggling with, some of the evil that they're dealing with, is some things that would just make our hearts break and our stomachs turn. We are called, we must be redeeming the time because we are called in the midst of a world that is evil and needs light. We are called to be that salt and light. And so again, Paul here then reinforces this point and sort of coming from the other angle. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reinforces this from another angle in this last phrase, this last statement that he says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We are to all be living by what many have called a Christian worldview. We should know the word of God and know how the word of God applies to life so that we're not tossed to and fro by kind of the winds of popular culture or the winds of what, you know, is just the kind of flavor of the day of belief or stance on a particular issue. But we should know what God says and we should live with a biblical worldview. Why are we want to live with a biblical worldview? Because a biblical worldview, because we know the Bible is God's word, is God's worldview. 
We want to live in such a way so that we live life and we think intuitively, whether we know through years of study of his word or we go to his word to say, what does God say about this? Not what does popular culture say about it? Not what do my friends say about this? Not even what do my feelings say about this? What does God say about it? Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we must walk with awareness. And secondly, we must be controlled by the Spirit. Walk with awareness, but then yield control daily to the Holy Spirit. This first statement says, and don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the issue of control that we see. Do we see a complete prohibition of alcohol in Scripture? No, we don't. But we see a great statement and a great teaching, great deal of teaching in Scripture about the wisdom. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Why is that? Because we can be controlled by that and other things the way that we should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So when we think about this, should we nuzzle nuzzle our lives up to? Should we be getting close to something that could be so destructive in our lives? No, we shouldn't follow after the world in such a way. But what should we be controlled by? We should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Paul knew in their context this was an issue for them. He was using it not only as a real issue of of drunkenness, but also as an illustration. Don't be controlled by these things that so easily and, and nuzzle up to things that so easily can control you. And something that can be so destructive in your life, but yet be controlled by what you're to be controlled by, which is the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. So how are we controlled by the Holy Spirit daily? We know that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He takes up residence in our life when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. What it means is that each day we are to rise out of bed, if you will. Sometimes you might even just need to do this practice till it's a habit. And you rise out of bed and you say, God, I'm allowed your Holy Spirit to control me today. Holy Spirit, come and take control of my life today so that my decisions honor you. My decisions honor you and bring glory unto God. That's what we do. So he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, D.L. Moody, the great preacher, uh, had a great illustration. If I'd been thinking ahead, I should have had it right, right here. Like, why didn't I do this? You know, I'm thinking, why in the world did I not have a glass and a, and a, and a bottle right now? But Moody says, how can I get the air out of this glass? He's got a glass, right? Empty glass. He says, well, how can I get the air out of this glass? Well, very simply, he took water and he poured it into the glass. And of course, the water displaces that air that was in that glass. So he relates that to the Christian life. And he says, so what do we do? If we're wanting to get rid of sin that doesn't honor the Lord and just brings, just brings pain in our life, we walk outside of the guardrails of God, God's, God's directive for our lives, and we want to draw that out of our lives, what do we do? We do we try to, try to suck out a sin of our life here or there? He says, no, daily be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the water, if you will, the Holy Spirit in our life displaces, will displace that sin in our lives. I love this. I love this, and we're going to put it on the screen here, this definition by John MacArthur. It says, being filled with the Spirit is living in the conscious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, letting his mind through the word dominate everything, every thought, everything that is done. It means that we get up, and again, as I said, if you've just got to do this, very practically do this practice, get up and say, God, today, 
I'm living by your word, and I'm going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. No matter how unpopular it is, no matter how difficult it is for me to make that choice, no matter how much my heart wants to run after something else, I'm going to do it by your word and by the control of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to trust that over time, your way is the right way and will bring me far greater joy than I could ever bring unto myself. So he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another, speaking to one another. So there's these statements that follow after that kind of line right under being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's how we're to practice. Here's some things that we're to practice as we are being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another. Remember, he's speaking to a church at Ephesus. He's saying, what is the outpouring of of individual members getting up each and every day and saying that I'm going to live by the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to live by the world. I'm not going to live by my own thoughts, my own feelings. I'm not going to live by my own selfish attitudes, but I'm going to live by the Holy Spirit. What is the outpouring of that? He says that we'll be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's not a great differentiation between these terms when you look at them either in the Greek or even some of their counterparts in the Hebrew. The big thing that we want to draw out of that is the fact that an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when we're living by the Holy Spirit, we as people of God cannot help for that life, that, that, that sort of walk in the Holy Spirit to, to, to bear fruit and to manifest itself in singing. We know that we are a singing faith. We can't help but just the joy that we have, the joy that we have in what Christ has done for us, that he paid the debt that we owed. He did not deserve it, yet he paid it. And we think about all the manifest blessings that come with that. It pours itself out in singing. And when we join our hearts together in song, whether it be corporately like this together, whether it's just maybe one or two people driving in a car together, that, that music is a motivation for the work of Jesus Christ. So speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and again he says, singing and making melody with your heart, one's whole heart, one's whole being. This sort of thing, this sort of picture of, 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 of being filled with this joy and it just pouring out of our lives was a hallmark of the early Christian church. When we think about those Christians being martyred, being persecuted by the early Roman church, as one author says, they were amazed. The crowds were amazed by this. This one author said, when the pleasure bent populace, they were just rife with pleasure at this point. They were just pleasure for pleasure's sake. As some have often said and have almost prophetically said about what America could be heading to ourselves is that they were amusing themselves to death. They were amusing themselves to death. And this was very much a a, a hallmark of of Rome at this time. When the pleasure-bent populace saw the Christians singing as they fearlessly entered the amphitheater where hungry lions awaited them, the people were filled with awe. They were singing. They were singing as they fearlessly entered because their hearts were enraptured by the joy of Jesus Christ. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart. And what were we doing as well? Giving thanks. Giving thanks. David Soper says the difference between a prison and a monastery is griping and gratitude. If you look at a monastery, their conditions are very austere. Conditions are very austere. But it is a sense, even in the midst of that great austerity, there is a sense of gratitude. 
So we're to be giving thanks. What always? It means the entirety of our life, no matter what happens. For all things, reinforcing that idea even in the trials of life. If we look at the book of James, as difficult as those trials may be, we know God in his sovereignty understands and knows and allows those things to happen as difficult as they may be so that we will develop perseverance of life always for all things to whom the very source the very source of all the great and good blessings god our father colossians 3:17 says this and whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus christ and whatever you do do it all for the name of the lord jesus christ giving thanks to whom to god the father through him that is through Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the basis for all that we have to give thanks for. Again, starting with the fact that he paid that debt that we could not pay ourselves. He paid that debt that we owe. What it is, it did Holy Spirit, living in the Holy Spirit, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, bears itself out in, in simple singing and praising the Lord with all that we are, giving thanks, giving thanks, and then what? Submitting to one another. Submitting to one another. You see, submitting is, is this biblical picture of meaning to order under, almost like soldiers. That intrinsically we know the intrinsic value of any human being is found in the fact that they are created in the image of God. And as we've talked about many times before, especially as Christians, we cannot see people, we cannot view people, we cannot continue to look at people based upon their usefulness to us. But isn't that the world in which we live? People see other people at the bedrock, at the base of their character. Oftentimes they see people based upon their usefulness unto themselves. But we believe and we know and we believe it's the absolute truth of God that each human being has intrinsic value because they are created in the image of God. But yet submitting means to order under, just like a soldier, equal, yet there's leadership. And here's the thing. Submission is the key to all human relationships. Submission is the key to all human relationships. There is a time in our life in any human relationship where for the good of that relationship, we cannot take it to the hill. We cannot fight to the death, if you will, verbally. Me trying to get my way, you trying to get your way. At some point, we must, in the wisdom of God, we must be willing in our human relationships to submit ourselves unto the good of someone else. And say, God, I believe that you will take care of it. You know, the person who never figures that out is the person who always, always throughout the entirety of their life has trouble with human relationships. They're the person that can't ever figure out, why. gosh, why is no one, why does it seem like I have a close friend? Why does it seem like I'm always in difficulty? Oftentimes, that common denominator is staring right in the mirror. And that common denominator is the lack of will to submit to someone else for the glory of God and for that other person. So he says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart, giving thanks unto God, submitting to one another. What, and, and what is the, the motivation under what directive? The fear of God, that reverent respect 
that reverent respect for the glorious God who created us in his image. And even though we fell into sin and because of that sin we're separated from God and because of that separation from God, if nothing is done about that separation, we will die and we'll be eternally separated from God. Even though that is the truth, the bad news that is followed by the good news of the gospel, that good news is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He loved us so much for his glory and for his love for us, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, to bear our sin so that if we would place our faith in Jesus Christ, give, give the keys of our life to Jesus Christ, surrender our life unto him, that we too might be forgiven, we might be cleansed, we might be saved. So we do all of this. We walk with awareness, awareness of life. We walk with that spiritual awareness of how we might make an effect on the lost world. And we do it all as we're controlled by the Spirit, and we ultimately do it out of reverent respect for the one who not only created us, but the one who redeemed us. Folks, again, a Christian can live victoriously in this world, victoriously in this world, by living with that spiritual awareness and being daily, daily controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, may that be... Uh, may that be the, 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 the characterization of our lives. May that love for you be manifested in those very things that we don't just kind of walk through life, stumble through life, letting the cares of this world and letting the, 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 the circumstances of life just kind of hit us in the face like we're drinking from a fire hydrant. But may we daily just walk aware of the opportunities that you give us, not only to, to walk within the guardrails of your holiness, but also to live as a witness to the lost world. And as we do so, may we also rise daily and say, I give control to your Holy Spirit. And may he control our lives. Lord God, I pray today that as we come to this time of response, Lord, that if there is anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, may they not let this day pass, this service pass, without doing business with you and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we do pray. Amen. You see, we come now to that time of response. Here in just a few moments, we're going to stand.